The worldview you embrace today just didn't come out of thin air. Kirby Anderson traces the worldviews through history, now on Probe. We often talk about worldviews on this radio program, but this week I wanted to talk about how the worldviews we talk about have developed through history. We will be using as our foundation an excellent book written by Professor Glenn Sunshine, who I've met and had a privilege of interviewing. His book is Why You Think the Way You Do, the story of Western worldviews from Rome to home. Glenn Sunshine is a member of the church that Jonathan Edwards attended when he was at Yale. Professor Sunshine gave a lecture about Jonathan Edwards' worldview at a conference they held, and Chuck Colson invited him to teach with the Centurions program. He gave a talk about how we got here and then later turned it into the book that we'll be talking about this week. Since we'll be talking about worldview, it would be good to begin with Glenn Sunshine's definition. A worldview is the framework you use to interpret the world and your place in it. You do not need to be a philosopher to have a worldview. All of us have a worldview. Although Glenn Sunshine begins with the worldview of the Roman world, he quickly takes us back to Neoplatonism. It was the religion and philosophy based upon Plato's ideas. Neoplatonism was the belief that the fundamental ground of reality is non-physical. Instead, it is found in the world of ideas, also known as idealism. These ideas cast shadows that cast other shadows until they arrive at the physical world. According to this worldview, the whole universe exists as a hierarchy. The spiritual is superior to the physical. This provides a scale of values for the world, but also provides a scale for humanity. In other words, those who are superior should rule over those who are inferior because they have demonstrated their ability to rule or conquer. This view of hierarchy led to the idea that the father is superior over the members of his family. It led to the idea that men are superior to women. It led to the idea that the emperor should rule and be worshipped. And it led to the idea that slaves are inferior to free people and nothing more than living tools. This explains not only the success of Rome, but also its ugly underside. Essentially, there are two pictures of Rome, the glittering empire and the rotten core. In Rome, human life did not have much value. While it is true that Romans abandoned human sacrifice, they engaged in other practices equally abhorrent. They picked up the Etruscan practice of having people fight to the death in games in honor of the dead. Slavery provided the economic foundation for the empire. Abortion and infanticide were regularly practiced. Roman families would usually keep as many healthy sons as they had and only one daughter, the rest were simply discarded. And Roman law required that a father kill any visibly deformed child. You've been listening to Probe with your host, Kirby Anderson. To get your free copy of Kirby's transcript, Worldviews Through History, go to our website at probe.org. Then join us next time here on Probe. This week we're tracing the history of worldviews using the research of Glenn Sunshine in his book, Why You Think the Way You Do. Today I would like to talk about how Christianity transformed the pagan world. In AD 303, the Roman Emperor Diocletian began a severe persecution of Christians. But because Christians were faithful and even willing to go to their deaths for their beliefs, their credibility increased. Eventually they were accepted and allowed to exercise their faith. Constantine even legalized the Christian faith in AD 313. Once that took place, Christian ideas were allowed to percolate through society. One of the most important ideas was that human beings are created in the image of God. This idea has profound impact. First, it meant that people are fundamentally equal to each other. No longer were there grounds for saying that some people are superior to others. In fact, Christians were the first people in history to oppose slavery systematically.
Christians, who believed that all are created in the image of God, treated the sick differently. They believed that even those who were deathly ill still deserved care. Dionysus of Alexandria reported that Christians, often at great risk to their own lives, visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually. They would rescue babies abandoned in an act of infanticide, and they would oppose abortion. In economics, we can also see the influence of Christianity. The idea that God created the universe and then rested showed that God worked. That meant that human beings made in the image of God are expected to work as well. God gave Adam and Eve intellectual work in naming the animals and physical work in tending the garden. Contrast this with the Roman world where physical work was seen as something that only slaves would do. Christians saw labor as something that was intrinsically valuable. Labor is good. Drudgery is bad. Drudgery is a result of the fall. So Christians were the first to develop technology to remove drudgery from work. Other civilizations had technology, but the West uniquely applied such things as water power to make work more valuable and worthwhile by eliminating the drudgery and repetitive nature of certain tasks. Property rights were also well-developed during this period. The medieval world, under the influence of Christianity, had a much stronger emphasis on property rights than other cultures had. These ideas come from a biblical worldview and began to be developed during the Middle Ages. They led to a complete transformation of Western society and set it on a trajectory to our modern world. This week we're tracing the history of worldviews using the research of Glenn Sunshine in his book, Why You Think the Way You Do. Today I would like to talk about Christianity and the political realm. But Glenn Sunshine points out that in the West, the dynamic between church and state is unique. Christianity was originally a persecuted minority religion. Even when Christianity was declared a legal religion, the church did not depend upon the state. So the question of the relationship between church and state has been an open question. Now, during the Middle Ages, two men helped shape political thinking. The first was Augustine, who described two realms, the city of God and the city of man. He argued that human government is the result of sin. He believed that it is based upon selfishness. Government itself is corruption. In the absence of government, anarchy reigns, so government is a necessary evil. The city of God is different in that it is not based upon force or coercion. It is based upon love, charity, and repentance. That doesn't mean that the city of man and the city of God cannot work together, but overall, Augustine had a more pessimistic view of government. Aristotle had a different view of government. As people in the Middle Ages began to rediscover Aristotle, they began to develop a different view of government. They saw government as a necessary institution that God had placed in the world. It had positive and legitimate functions. Aristotle believed that government had a more positive role in society, but Christian theologians had to deal with the problem of original sin. They wanted to find a way to prevent original sin from corrupting the government, and this tension between these two views is what drives the discussion of Western political theory. Another check on civil government involves the idea of rights. We normally associate the idea of rights, especially inalienable rights, with the 18th century political theorist. However, John Locke's idea that we have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and property is already found in the writings of medieval theologians. The basis for this is a belief that we are created in the image of God. Therefore, all of us have a number of natural rights that the state cannot remove. Natural law was the idea that God wove moral laws into the fabric of the universe. There also was the belief that there should be limitations on the jurisdiction of civil government and church government. One example of that is the Magna Carta that stated that the English church was to be free and its liberties unimpaired by the crown. Tomorrow we'll talk about the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. 
This week we're tracing the history of worldviews using the research of Glenn Sunshine in his book, Why You Think the Way You Do. Today I would like to talk about the transformation into the modern world. In the early modern period, starting with the Renaissance in the 15th century to the 17th century, there were a whole series of events that shook the worldview consensus that developed in the Middle Ages. Previously, there were certain beliefs about truth, that truth was absolute, that truth is knowable to the human mind, and that truth is necessary for society. After all, society could not be based upon a lie. A good guide for truth would be the great civilizations of the past that lasted for so long and thus must have been based upon truth. The idea was to go to the past to find truth. During the Renaissance, scholars were very successful in collecting manuscripts and finding ancient sources. Unfortunately, they found so many sources that they discovered that there was not a coherent perspective. The ancient writers disagreed with one another. In a sense, the Renaissance was a victim of its own success. There was too much information. The more ancient sources they found, the less likely they could find agreement in the perspectives. Once it became obvious that a grand synthesis was not possible, the entire purpose of intellectual activity was thrown into question. Then there were the Wars of the Reformation in which the various factions fought over who was the true follower of the Prince of Peace. The devastation of the religious wars left many people wondering if there really was religious certainty. No longer was the question, is Christianity true, but rather, which Christianity is true? Now you had a multiplicity of options that left people confused. This also generated questions about the role of religion in society. Then you also have the discovery of the New World and whole people groups that had never heard the gospel. Some began to ask questions like, is it fair of God to send them all to hell because they had never heard of Christianity? Or in light of biblical history, where did they come from? How do these people fit into the story of Noah? These discoveries also called into question biblical morality and biblical history. Also, people began to use a different way of looking at knowledge. They began to use the scientific method to evaluate everything. This began a significant shift in how we understand the world. There was a movement from certainty towards probability. And there was also a movement away from studying ancient authors towards scientific experimentation. In the modern world, therefore, truth is not found in the past, but in the present and the future. With this is also the questioning of biblical authority. This week we've been tracing the history of worldviews using the research of Glenn Sunshine in his book, Why You Think the Way You Do. Today I would like to conclude by talking about our modern world and how Christians should respond. Glenn Sunshine concludes his book with chapters on modernity and its discontents and the decay of modernity. Essentially, the modern world has left humans with a loss of truth, certainty, and meaning in life. Materialism provides a ready answer to the question of the meaning and purpose of life. There is none. From a Darwinian perspective, our only purpose is to pass our genes on to the next generation. This rejection of spirituality and meaning has ushered in various other worldviews as an alternative. These would be such worldviews as postmodernism, neo-paganism, and the New Age movement. He argued that in many ways we have been catapulted back to Rome. Like Rome, we value toleration as the supreme virtue. Rome believed that toleration was important because it kept the empire together. If you go beyond the lines of toleration, you are persecuted. That is similar to the mindset today. The highest value in the postmodern world is toleration. Toleration so defined means that we will embrace any and all lifestyles people may choose. The Romans lived in an oversex society. So was our society. Rome practiced abortion. So does our society. Rome was antenatal and made a deliberate attempt to prevent pregnancy. They focused on sexual enjoyment but did not want to bother with kids. In our modern world, birth rates in most Western democracies are plummeting. 
Western civilization is a product of ancient Roman civilization plus Christianity. Glenn Sunshine argues that once you remove Christianity, modern society reverted back to Roman society and recovery of the ancient pagan worldview. So how should Christians live in this world? Well, of course, we should live out a biblical worldview. Every generation is called to live faithfully to the gospel, and our generation is no exception. This is especially true today since we are facing a society that is not willing to accept biblical ideas. In many ways, we face a challenge similar to the early church, though not as daunting. From history, we can see that the early church did live faithfully and transformed the Roman world. Christians produced a totally new civilization, Western culture. By living faithfully before the watching world, we will increase our credibility and earn the respect from those who are around us by living in accordance with biblical principles.